Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome back to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime over here, Ellie Mistal. I'm actually changing my name to Daniel Murphy Mistal. That's, that's what I want to go under. Yeah, um, oftentimes Ellie makes a point of telling you all that he's not wearing any clothes while he records this, but you are most definitely wearing clothes. I'm wearing all my clothes right now. I got my David Wright replica um, Shea Stadium last season jersey on. That's on top of my Ioannis Cespedes for the rest of us um, Seinfeld t-shirt that my wife was kind enough to buy me at the beginning of the playoff run that hasn't been washed because we keep winning, so if I smell a little bit, um, that's why, although that really only affects Joe. Yeah. Um, I've of course got my, my Mets cap, the the classic blue with the orange NY on top of my headphones. And I won't even tell you what I'm wearing underneath because that is also supporting my colors. I am most definitely not wearing any sports paraphernalia today. (laughs) So how does it feel to take a city that suffered as long as the north side of Chicago has and just ruin every bit of possible joy that they could take out of life. Yeah, I mean, th- there was a lot of talk going into this series about how Back to the Future 2, the day that Marty McFly uh, comes to the future is October 21st, uh, 2015. And uh, in that movie, M- McFly sees that the Cubs have won the w- World Series. They sweep the World Series. And so a lot of Cub fans were like throwing that around. And you know, the Mets, but the Mets actually, uh, unlike Cub fans, Mets fans actually understand with the, the message of that movie and the message of that movie is that the future is not written and we can change it and that's what we did in Chicago but that leads me directly to my point that, that's grinding my gears today I know it's hard for me to find something that pisses me off um, under such heady happy times but I found something and it has to do with the Cubs the Cubs as you may know um, play in a decrepit old ballpark called Wrigley Field unlike all modern stadiums they have you know fauna blooming in their outfield wall. And so one of the ground rules at Wrigley Field is that if the baseball gets caught in the ivy of Wrigley Field, then the uh, fielder does not have to make any attempt to play the ball. They can just throw up their hands and say, hey, it's a ground rule double because I can't find it in my foliage, which is ridiculous. So this this negatively affected the Mets during this series. Uh, one of our guys hit a hit, which was should have been a triple and a run scoring play. Um, he had to stop at second and the runner couldn't score because the ball got caught in the ivy. Now, here's where it becomes a legal issue to me. Why do we not have people who have discretion on a case-by-case basis? In baseball, we call them umpires. In life, we call them judges. But both of those people should be empowered to enact real discretion on the case that they see in front of them. Too often in our baseball rules, we have these ground rules that the umpires can't change, and too too often we have rules that judges can't change. Judges need to be empowered to have discretion on a case-by-case basis, and it can't all be statutorily imposed minimums or mandatory sentencing or any of that stuff. We need judges to be empowered to use their best judgment. I mean, I definitely, I definitely see some of that. I 
strikes me as though the problem with Wrigley is the bigger problem I have with baseball, which is it's this bizarre sport that feels as though because it's over 100 years old that things can't be changed. It, like there, There's no reason that they should be allowed to have a jungle in the outfield. That's just stupid. It made sense in 1908, perhaps, and, but it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's what really should happen. But your point about discretion, I just want to uh, hype one story that I wrote yesterday, actually. There's a judge in Alabama who got got a lot of flack because he suggested that a bunch of poor and working class offenders who have fines dating back, in some cases, 17 years for pot possession and stuff, and they don't have the money to pay all these fines. And he said, well, you could you could give blood at this for this blood drive and I'll, you know, take it off of your thing. Instead of paying the fines, you can do this community service. Right. And and he's getting all this flack for ordering people to give blood. And I'm, I mean, my point was, it's wrong that we have these sorts of stupid rules that are just designed to siphon money away from people who can't afford to pay it. So that's a big problem in the first place. But to the extent we have these rules, as dumb as they are, telling people that they could do community service rather than further impoverishing them, I, I think it's a good thing. Now, the classic counter argument to my judges should have discretion point is usually somebody will usually say blah, 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 Alabama. Right. Because judges in Alabama might want some discretion, too. Right. And, and I understand how that how discretion doesn't always work out necessarily the way that I would like it to work out. But I think that the problem with that is not that judges have too much discretion. It's that we elect and appoint and use the wrong judges. Right. So to go back to baseball, if your umpire is calling a terrible strike zone, the solution is not to have a computer call the strike zone. The solution is to get a better umpire. Yeah, I Use the computer. No reason not to. They're coming for us. Uh, well, let's bring in our guest. We have Gary Ross from Jackson Ross. Hey. Hey. How's it going, guys? We're good. We're good. We're good. I'm great. So, <laughs> Gary, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, you've heard how great he is. Um, <laughs> he still so, seems to be upset about Wrigley Field, though. <laughs> I mean. Don't have to play there again in 2015. Yeah, yeah. So, Gary, you handle a lot of corporate work for startups. And at our recent event, the APP event, the app that we have been talking about over the last few weeks, you were a presenter there and kind of talked a little bit about what you do. And so I thought we could use this forum to kind of get that message out a little bit. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's really interesting about a, uh, a small practice is the journey the practice takes in regard to practice areas. I had thought that I would be doing a lot of SEC disclosure work uh, I was kind of the firm expert at the conflict minerals rule, so I thought that that was going to be like a big get for me. And, of course, it showed up, you know, no one wants to hire an attorney just for, the, uh, you know, one specific rule with the SEC. They want to stay with Kirkland or whoever is handling all their securities work. And then for a little while, just to make ends meet, I was doing litigation a little bit last year. And then eventually I kind of steered it back to where I was getting enough corporate and securities work where I'm pretty much focused on that now. And uh, my firm is now four people, and I have an off-counsel who handles all my litigation stuff. I've never heard somebody so sad about having to do litigation work for <laughs> You said that like other people say, and then when I first came to this country, you know, I had to drive a cab. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, you know, it was great for keeping the lights on. Um, yeah. Because what, what, one thing about doing contracts, you get a lot of people saying, you know, it took you four hours to do this contract. Whereas when you're sitting in a deposition, you know, they know that I was beside them for eight hours. You know, there's no question as to how long. There's, 
<laughs> it's a lot. So your position on litigation is it's a lot easier to bill, which I think <laughs> is fantastic. I'd say defending a deposition, you know, there's, there's not a lot to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything's an objection. And uh, <laughs> right, well, yeah. from there, I object to the form of everything. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's interesting for us to talk to folks on the corporate side because I don't know if there's, you can read too much into it, but as a quirk of the above the law offices, we're all former litigators. Mm-hmm. So we don't really have the, we don't have as much of the perspective of how the other half lives, I think. Mm-hmm. If you were, Gary, if you're, if you're in law school right now and you're, and you're kind of thinking about going into corporate work, but kind of for yourself, as opposed to going to Kirkland or something like that, what classes you're taking? Like, what are you doing to put yourself in that situation? You know, one unfortunate thing is that in contracts, you don't learn any contracts. You know, you learn a lot of cases, you learn about remedies and these theories. You know, you don't actually learn to draft a contract. Consideration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, There was a lot of talk of peppercorns. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, and old, like, what, mills and stuff, you know, and medicine balls and things. I took a clinic class called Structuring Transactions where we were drafting contracts and it was far and away one of my most boring classes. I remember every day, you know, the instructor was droning on about contracts, but it turned out to be that's what law is like. You know, there's a reason <laughs> that we earn what we earn. Uh, you know, it's incredibly boring work, and to be able to stay focused on it, you know, is why we were able to earn a, a premium. So I'd say any kind of clinic class that you can get like that where you're actually drafting contracts is uh, incredibly useful. Even if you don't want to be a securities attorney, you've got to know something about it. So I'd say a securities regulation class where you become familiar with the 1933 Act and 1934 Act. Yeah, no, I definitely think that one of the weaknesses of my law school education was in not really understanding how a contract is written. Because even from the litigation side, you end up, I mean, I always say that a lot of my work was when deals attack. I was coming in (laughs) after the fact, the deals busted, everyone hates each other now. And I'm reading a 300, 400 page long contract trying to figure out what they agreed to, why, where everything is. And just having some sense of how the sausage got made, I think would have helped me avoid a a steep learning curve. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I took a business associations class where we talked about corporations and limited liability company. I think that was valuable too. But really, there's kind of so few corporate classes, you can really bang them out in one semester. You know, take securities regulation, take uh, bankruptcy if you can, uh, take any kind of legal clinic drafting class you can take, and then business associations, and that's basically all that, all that you have. So from a, from a thinking like a lawyer perspective, um, how, how much, I, I like to ask contract lawyers this, how much do you actually read boilerplate in, in your personal contracts? Uh, uh, I think it's Posner, perhaps. I, sometimes I get confused with Epstein, but I think this one was Posner. Um, he once famously said that he doesn't read any of the boilerplate, that he just signs it because he knows he can get out of it later if he has to. Are you sitting there, are you actually reading the terms on your iPhone? Are you... Uh, or, uh, <laughs> You know, if there's no bargaining power, then it's like, what's the point? I'll just be depressed, you know, because I know, you know, I know what the company is reserving. You know, I know the rights are reserving. I know it's ridiculous and there's nothing I can do. Uh, But certainly, like it helps from my point of view, it helped like when I was reviewing my lease. You know, I took an office. You know, there's nothing I can do on a residential lease, really. But when I signed my office lease last, last November, I had some comments back. And so we kind of swapped comments. So I helped, you know, I, I did it then, but I don't, if there's no way that anybody's ever going to agree to a special carve out just for like one lonely consumer. I had one time where this person tried to get me to sign a freelance contract and I, I read it and then I kind of laughed and I was like, <laughs> I, 
I, I will never sign that. <laughs> so <laughs> it helps sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's what's interesting is like when you sign up laterals at your firm, when you have two attorneys like going back and forth on the lateral agreement, that was kind of an interesting thing because uh, you know the other attorney knows exactly what's being asked of him or her, and uh, there'll be several rounds, and that was that was an interesting process. It's the ultimate, I see what you did there. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I will not agree to that. And and part of the thing was someone had sent me this agreement last year wanting me to join their firm, and uh, I didn't do it, but I kept their agreement, and then I used that as the base, and I did not go over it with the fine-tooth comb. So some of the stuff that people had objected to, you know, I looked down and go, ooh, yeah, I should have removed that. Maybe it was a little, <laughs> <laughs> a little, <laughs> a little Ask for their tax returns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's some crazy stuff. So you you have your own firm that's growing. You say you're up to up to four people now. Yeah, so, two associates but, and one of counsel. Right. So now, when you're doing that, I mean, I know we we kind of touched on this already, as far as as uh, you did some litigation to keep the lights on. But you pointed out that when it comes to securities work, a lot of these companies don't want to leave their big law who handles everything else. What kind of tips, strategies did you utilize to kind of get yourself in that door? You know, one, one thing that I was surprised about, uh, I lived in New York until 2009 when I got uh, laid off from Sidley. And then I went to Washington, D.C. for four years while I worked at Treasury. And then when I moved back, this whole startup community had bloomed here, this whole startup alley. And uh, it's, you know, there's some legal work there that's kind of low-hanging fruit. The problem is you don't get paid for it, or it's really hard, hard to get paid. So you can get you know, you can start doing work and you can get work, convertible promissory notes and things like that to kind of fund, fund these startups. And then uh, after a while, you know, you get larger and larger customers and you get companies as they're a little further along uh, who need you to do the same stuff that you've been doing for kind of a reduced rate. And so it was a gradual thing. And my first few, you know, it'd be hard to get paid, paid on. And then now, you know, now I can be a little more discerning. Uh, but it's just a process, and it, it was, you know, I had to stick with it for a while. It's so easy to just bail and get a job somewhere. So it yeah, really yeah. takes a lot of, uh, you know, people look at kind of small practitioners as, you know, we're trying to practice from the beach, you know, we want to take all the time off that we can. Uh, but it's really, it's much more demanding than just having a job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly, I worked in a big firm and then a smaller firm, that, but that was incredibly well established. And, I, that whole side of the business of going out and starting from scratch would, I mean, that would take up more time of my day than the actual practice of law, I would assume. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, if I have a, a lunch meeting with someone and then like a couple of client, call, uh, prospective client pitches, you know, I can, and especially if I'm going to some startup pitch event at night, you know, sometimes I'll be back in the office at 10 p.m. and being, okay, now I have to bill hours. Yeah. Well, let's. I, I just want to. I think we're going the same place. I want to get back to the beach. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what happens on the beach? <laughs> oh, yeah. So you also write for us at Above the Law. Uh, you write a, a column that covers a lot of, a lot of it, a broad range of issues. But I want to focus on one out there that if our <laughs> listeners haven't read, they should probably go read. But tons of our listeners have. It's one of our popular posts of the last few months. So why are lawyers good at sex? <laughs> it's amazing the response to that. And it's funny yeah. how it happened. 
I have been thinking about, uh, you know, every now and then ideas come out. And I'm one of those attorneys. You know, I really love being a lawyer. Uh, I love hanging around with other lawyers. I think we're a unique breed. Uh, it's really interesting, the interaction that we have with clients, especially where I am now. We're like, you know, you're trying to get clients and, and, and everything. And so um, I try to celebrate that. And the, the idea popped into my head maybe a couple months ago. And uh, as you all, you all probably have the same thing as me, I kind of have some half-finished columns out there. You know, some columns that are kind of a germ of an idea that just kind of stick around. And so I had this, and obviously it was a little racy, and, you know, my column is focused on going from big law to small law, so I didn't do anything with it. And then uh, I was really busy that Thursday, and I had emailed Stacy and said, hey, you know, I'm way too busy. I'm not going to be able to do it. She's like, well, okay, let me know at noon if you can. And so I looked up that column, and I thought, well, you know, I'll I'll finish that and send it in. (laughs) And it took you know, not long at all, like maybe 30, 45 minutes. I just kind of knocked it out and sent it in. And, you know, next much thing you like, know. Yeah. Much like lawyer sex, not, not long at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Ouch. <laughs> no, like it was incredible. It just, it got itself some virality. I started seeing it sent around by people who aren't even lawyers uh, <laughs> who had picked it up off of Reddit or something. It was uh, sometimes the, the best ideas, I guess. But uh, Well, let's not tease the listeners. The, yeah. tell, tell us the... Uh, so give us... Uh, do you remember uh, any of your points? Because I can start going over them if you... Uh, <laughs> right. Well, the one, one's about, you know, anyone who gets paid by the hour is not in a hurry to finish. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you might think it would only take me 30 minutes to research something, but oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Hours and hours. And so, Gotta take your time. Yeah. I reference other older professions like the law that also bill by the hour. Hint, hint. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, very client-focused. Yeah. That's another one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Client-focused. And then uh, what was the one about, oh, talking like a lawyer. I had the uh, thing about we know how to use verbiage. So we use a lot of words. We know when to be forceful and then we know when to speak softly. And then, of course, speak softly and carry a big stick. And I thought, well, that's way too obvious. So, and then I changed that to fighting hard not to make a big stick joke, which is one of those, <laughs> uh, one of those writer things. You can acknowledge, you know, you say, oh, I'm, I'm too good to go there. But then you kind of go there in another way. Oh, yeah. No, I. You just like describe my entire career. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I was going to say. I actually don't know your, your marital status, Gary. I am, I am married to a lawyer. Um, so my take on this is always that once you get to yes, you're, you're 90% there. Right? That, who cares about that after that? When you have two lawyers in the room, it's the getting the yes that becomes, that becomes where, all the, where all the conflict is. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So it's funny. The, the woman I'm seeing actually wanted to write a rebuttal to my uh-huh. Yeah, the the point that I was most proud of, though, was the one about withdrawing. So we're used to withdrawing, you know, and I wouldn't have known that if I I wouldn't have done litigation last year because on uh, one matter I had to withdraw. And so, you know, you have to ask the court to withdraw and you have all this this stuff go on. So that kind of hit my mind. I thought, well, that'd be a funny thing to share. Does iTunes have a NC-17 rating? Is that? <laughs> it has an explicit tag, and we routinely take advantage of that tag on this show. So, You know, the column didn't, you know, use any language that's dirty, but when you start talking about withdrawal, people, you know, start conjuring up images in their head. As, that's where I just went. We are almost assuredly the only legal industry-focused podcast that utilizes the explicit tag this much. <laughs> right. My mother is so proud right now, I'm sure. She, yeah. My mom. Yeah. Yeah, I think my dad has read my column once and, like, read the comments 
and we're like, you know, what on earth is Gary doing? He's throwing away his legal <laughs> I tried to explain how the internet works. Anyone can comment. It's anonymous. So you get kind of these bottom feeders. But uh, so I, I don't think they, uh, I, I think they kind of block out that I write a column. Yeah. yeah. No, so um, I, I was just looking at Ellie, who looked like he was about to say something and then just thought better of it, which almost assuredly means it was going to be even further in the gutter <laughs> than we've already got. And he thought better of it. Yeah, no, I tried to clean it up in my head and I couldn't, so we're just going to yeah. wrap it up. Wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, it's in- it's interesting, the feedback, and you all know this well, like the feedback you get from the columns. You know, people, uh, someone from Trinidad and Tobago, like emailed me, someone from Turkey, and it's really uh, it's really interesting, like where these where these columns go. Above the Law really has an incredible reach out there. Yeah, I get, uh, I get messages from this guy who was apparently – was the prince of Nigeria, and he's got a lot of money. <laughs> he just needs my legal help. Ah, yeah. In all seriousness, no. The social reach of, I think, all, all the stuff that we're exposed to that we're able to do now um, as lawyers um, is incredible, right? I mean, you can you can truly get clients from anywhere while sitting in the comfort of your own office um, mm-hmm. just by putting your name out there and 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 getting involved in the social networks. And I think that is that is truly truly amazing. Mm-hmm. Do either one of you still do like one-off legal things, or what? What I, I guess both of you maintain your license. Nope. No, I do maintain my license. I have not done a legal thing in a couple of years. I represented the uh, the bar that I'm a regular at in a dispute that they had with a vendor, uh, uh-huh. and they they just wanted some legal help, and I was like, I I still got my license, so I did that. <laughs> Uh, I, I never even had my license, you know, I got, so I, you know, I, I was working, I went, worked at Double Voice in Plimpton. And if you're like a young associate there, you don't actually need to go through all the rigmarole to get admitted. Once you pass the bar, you're a law clerk, they're fine with it. I always knew, I came into the profession with one foot out the door. Um, so I, I resisted getting my license, to like finish, it was, you know, the final paperwork. I resisted right. submitting all of that um, because it kind of felt like once I got it, then I'd be, they'd have me. I'd be called. <laughs> And really, when I when I quit, it was it was a lot of like, dude, it's been two years, <laughs> you know, submit your goddamn forms. Yeah, right. And it was you know, it was a nice moment for me to be like, no, I really, I really think that I'm out of this. And then, so then my wife was just like, well, if you're gonna quit, you absolutely have to submit it so that you know, if if the next thing doesn't work out, you can go back. And that was really where I drew the line. I was like, no, 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 because the next thing won't work out if I can go back. Yeah, I yeah. I, I remember there was a football player a little while ago who got a tattoo in his face for the same reason. He's like, uh, <laughs> motivate me to do it because I'm not going to be able to get an office job again now. Jason Terry got the championship trophy tattooed on his arm the, before he won it with the uh, Dallas Mavericks. My wife wasn't happy about these decisions, I should add. <laughs> but she's, she works at J.P. Morgan. She's fine. We're good. Oh, okay. <laughs> it took me a long time to get admitted, too, because uh, I passed the bar. And then, of course, New York has the character and fitness afterwards. And way back in the ancient times of 2004, you know, we did everything paper and I had all my paperwork in my bag, which I, of course, left. And I had accumulated everything, right? Everything I needed from former employees and residences and stuff. And, of course, I leave it in the trunk of a cab. And I was so demoralized afterwards. I was like, you know, screw it. (laughs) I'm not ready to go back through. So it was like a year later before I finally restarted that process. That is a body blow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I... I had no good stories like this. Like, Joe's I, just like, I just decided because I 
I well, turned it in. A lawyer. A, a lawyer. <laughs> My character fitness exam was like the interview was literally a guy sitting down who told me a couple stories about his own career and then said, you wouldn't commingle money, would you? And I said, no. And he said, great, we're done here. Oh, that yes. was the whole interview. My CF was a lot about my father. We should have a whole different podcast on my dad at some point. But my, my, my dad and I have the same name, and he, he's, had, he's had an interesting life. Um, and apparently the, my examiner couldn't Google very well, so he kept asking me questions about things that had happened to my father. But that time that you were an elected government official, yeah. you're like, no, no. It's like, no, I was eight, yo. <laughs> anyway. I like how this particular podcast, we, we've kind of – eschewed any agenda and we've just now got three people talking which yeah. I, think, I think is more entertaining once we got the nc-17 ready I think yeah so. yeah right yeah let's cross that rubicon yeah. yeah all right well i think that's good then on, on that note thanks gary for joining that's gary ross if you aren't reading his column you should start so that you will be there on the ground floor when the inevitable rebuttal is written <laughs> right yeah <laughs> so you have a point of reference yeah, exactly. So uh, with that, you can read any of us on Above the Law. You can also read Ellie at ATL Redline, which is uh, another site where he posts stuff. We're on Twitter. Review this podcast on iTunes. Help us out. That sort of thing. I think that's all that we have for today other than, well, what you're going to end the podcast by saying. Let's go, Mets! Right. Uh, <laughs> at no point was that discussed. I just knew that was how that was going to end. All right. So... On behalf of Murphy Mistal over there, I'm going to sign off. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies. Bring your wife. Guaranteed to have the time of your life because the Mets are really sucking the ball. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.